Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers, aimed to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. It is lovely to be with you today. My name is Feriel Hafiji. I'm a journalist and editor, and I'm so excited to have with me here Mark Gafusa, uh, one of South Africa's renowned authors. I thought I might just say at the start, Marky, that what I love about Mark's work, his political writing, is that it is so fine and it's so refined. Um, and it pays real respect to the archive. It's deeply researched and it's absolutely fair, and that's what makes reading him such a pleasure. Um, I find that his political reporting is of such a standard that it really makes me look at everything else with quite a critical eye, because too often do I find that our political reporting today is about the intricacies of a feudal ANC politics that means less and less to you and I. So I really love how you do your craft, and I want to honor that today. So let's talk about this book, Tabo Mbeki, The Dream Deferred. And yes, it's Genesis. So what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a saw and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat, or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? That's by Langston Hughes, and it's where, Mike, where Mark draws his title from. Marky, very welcome, and congratulations. Thank you so much. I love that she calls me Marky in public. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it really says something about the, those words are very beautiful coming from you, Pharaoh, because we've, we've walked such a path together and I have such huge respect for you. I mean, we, I think about three moments in particular in our relationship. The first is when we met at the Weekly Mail when I was, a, 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 I was just back in South Africa as a young journalist and Pharaoh was a trainee and it was, it was in a moment of such incredible excitement and hope for, for the promise of, of, of what our new society might bring. Our friendship continued, but the next moment I want to put my finger on was the, the, the launch of the first edition of this book, which was in 2007, uh, just in the run-up to the Polokwane Conference, where Thabo Mbeki took on Jacob Zuma, or Jacob Zuma took on Thabo Mbeki, and Zuma won, and it was a time of unbelievable ferment, uh, and, 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 and you were one of the people interviewing me in the Great Hall, and we had 1,500, 2,000 people in the Great Hall, and it, it, it was alive, it was bristling. It's quite a moment. Because, because no one really knew what was gonna happen in our country, and um, ah, yeah, it just said something about where we were then. There was a lot of anger at Mbeki as well, um, and also anger at me, uh, because I was seen to be um, on Mbeki's side, because I'd written a biography of him. I have a different way of looking at it that we can talk about. And then sort of fast forward to now, and here we are in the Congregational Church. Um, it's a little bit calmer today than it was. It is. <laughs> but um, I feel like we're at another pivotal moment. I really do. And, um, and in a way, 
the section I'm going to read now uh, talks to that. Three months after the July 2021 insurrection, Thabo Mbeki went to Etequini, its epicenter, on the campaign trail for the ANC in the local government elections. Addressing an audience of black professionals and entrepreneurs, he noted that one of the causes of the insurrection had been the serious crisis in both the economy and service delivery. This was, he said, a reflection of the ANC's failure, that was Mbeki's word, in government. He spoke of the economic recovery plans developed by both the business sector and the government, and expressed his strong opinion that the blockage in moving forward came from government inertia, or inefficiency, or incompetence, or aversion to the private sector. Something is wrong there. And Becky said about the government uh, that was run by the party for which he was campaigning. Of course, such commentary needs to be weighed against a subtle agenda present in much of Mbeki's recent commentary. Things went wrong after you threw me out. But notwithstanding the ways these problems have roots in his own presidency, Mbeki's truth-telling is very important and strangely underreported, as much of his post-presidential life has been. The effect of the insurrection on South Africa seems, as with Marikana or the fallest insurrection, or any number of smaller acts of violence over service delivery, to be paralysis or entropy rather than collapse or explosion. Despite the flash fire explosions, often violent and destructive, post-apartheid South, South Africa exhibits some of the other consequences of the dream deferred suggested in Langston Hughes' poem. There is the sagging of a bureaucracy under the heavy load of patronage that is the curse of African politics in an environment where the state is often the only employer and where jobs are often dispensed rather than earned. There is the rotten stench of corruption and the way it was for too long covered up. In the first instance with the multi-million rand arms procurement deal put together by Mbeki when he was deputy president. There is the sugary crusting over of dreams with the conspicuous consumption of tenderpreneurs, blinged up political operatives who follow in their insouciance the example of their wealthy white compatriots. Nothing symbolized the way South Africans lived beyond their means more than the image from the July 2021 looting of a man caught on television loading Woolworth's groceries into his large Mercedes-Benz. Alongside this, of course, there is the ever-deepening inequality, the festering sore of poverty due to the country's economic crisis, an unemployment rate of 35%, a crime epidemic that makes South Africa one of the most violent societies in the world, and most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic that has served to bring this inequality into such sharp relief. The first years of democracy brought South Africa an unprecedented period of economic growth, albeit without commensurate employment growth and the unexpected gift of political stability. But the ideals of this era have dried up, like so many raisins in the sun, as the nation's leaders have revealed themselves to be not the demigods of struggle mythology, but as flawed and as self-serving as any. One verse in particular has stuck with me 
from Langston Hughes' great poem cycle, and I found myself repeating it, almost as an incantation. From river to river, uptown to down, there's liable to be confusion when a dream gets kicked around. Thank you very much, Mark. I must say, I don't know about you, and you've written about it, but July 2021, and what President Cyril Ramaphosa calls a failed insurrection, felt like an insurrectionary moment um, to me. Um, And and it's interesting that Thabo Mbeki, who turns 80 this year, um, is enjoying such a resurgence or resurrection, or what you call a redemptive act. But yet it's been happening quite under the radar. It's under-tracked and under-reported. Tell us more about how you understand. Is he back there out of his own, um, by, by his own hand, or has the ANC redeployed him, called him back into service? Look, I want to, I mean, I'm so glad you said at the very beginning of this that, that um, you know, neither of us are interested in ANC feudal politics. I'm really not. And the days are long over where I spent, you know, hours of my life running after people saying, chief, 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 tell me what's going on. So, so I, I must say at the outset, I, I, I don't have any inside intel, right? And I also made a decision, um, for reasons I'm happy to talk about, not to engage with former President Mbeki uh, when writing my new epilogue and, and introduction to this book. So what, what I'm telling you is my um, inference. Sure. Uh, on the basis of um, research and thinking. Um, you know, I think it's accurate to say that after Tabombeki was, um, was chucked out as the ANC president and then as the president of country in 2007 and 2008, he suffered some kind of breakdown. Was it a nervous breakdown or a political breakdown? I don't know. I, I'm not close enough to say. But that breakdown... Um, I, 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 I write quite a lot in my book about how um, his, favorite Shakespeare, his favorite Shakespeare character is the Roman uh, war hero Coriolanus, who is, um, who is expelled from Rome, Coriolanus, excuse me, who's expelled from Rome because he, he won't play the vainglorious leader. And as he leaves, um, he says to the people, oh, you common cry of curs, I banish you. There is a world elsewhere. And, and, and that, to me, says something about, I mean, a little bit of Mbeki's contempt uh, for us. Um, you know, he was president of the country for, for many months uh, before he was recalled, and he was absent, I mean, particularly around that xenophobic violence moment. But, but, but it also says something about his hurt. Um, and and um, we have to remember that he was expelled by, it wasn't his political party, it was his family. And this is really one of the big themes of my book, the way um, Thabo Mbeki constantly has tried to balance being a, a member of a family or a leader of a family, the patron of a family, and, and um, the patriarch of a family, and the leader of a political party, and how those get confused. Um, so he did disappear. And in fact, um, he was accused of being one of the um, uh, people who founded COPE the opposition party, which became the place where the Mbekists went. And um, to try and smoke him out, Jacob Zuma uh, wrote him a letter, which was leaked, 
in which he said, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see that you're not campaigning for, for the ANC anymore. And Mbeki said, um, I will not rule from beyond the grave. I, I, I don't want, I will not have anything to say about South Africa or about the ANC. Um, and he was making it a sort of act of nobility, but, but I really think it was a sign of hurt. I mean, a little bit later, he said he was asked by, I think, given him Kari in, in a radio discussion, um, have, have, have you, do you have anything to do with the government? And his reply, his reply was, why would they want anything to say? Why would they want me to, why would they want my, what I have to say? They chucked me out. They, they, they hate me. That was his attitude. Now, now something profound shifted in 2017. Um, when there was the leadership crisis about Zuma, and it seemed very clear that um, uh, Jacob Zuma would remain in power through his proxies. And, and, and Mbeki had gone against Zuma, right or wrong, in 2007, because he was convinced that, he was convinced, vainglorious I would say, that he was the only person who could stop Zuma's corruption, because he already knew about Zuma's corruption, and, and Zuma's ineptitude, he knew it very well. As did we all, of course. So we, all of us who thought, yay, the Mbeki era is over, there's a new opening now, all of us sort of carry some responsibility um, for, for, for looking the other way and not really looking at what was in front of us with Zuma. That being said, Mbeki was convinced by elders in, um, in uh, the ANC to speak again. And he did. And he started speaking before, 20, before the 2017 leadership conference, um, very powerfully at a meeting of veterans in November 2017, where he spoke about how, how this corruption he was seeing was not the ANC. And that's interesting, because it's one of the things I try and interrogate critically. Is it not the ANC? Wasn't Becky just saying that because he was trying to say, it's the, the people who chucked me out are not the ANC, when really, it was the ANC. So he started speaking then, and then very interestingly, given, um, given his history with Cyril Ramaphosa, who was his arch foe in the ANC for many, many years, um, and that's a whole history I tell in the book, um, Ramaphosa brought him back into the party in interesting ways. And, and Ramaphosa, I, I understand, I say this having said that I don't really follow gossip in the ANC anymore, Ramaphosa <laughs> spends a fair amount of time at Mbeki's Rivera house, well, that's it. Yeah, uh, seeking advice yeah. or balancing things up. Now that doesn't stop Mbeki from criticizing. So it becomes a part of his many kitchen cabinets. You know, yeah. Ramposa runs things by yeah. a series of kitchen cabinets. This things. is one of them. Okay. I understand. I stand corrected, but I understand, sir. And 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 he's he's and since Ramaphosa's come into power, he started campaigning for the ANC again, and he's sort of been given a job within the ANC. I think I think driven by Ramaphosa as elder statesman, mediator. Um, he, most recently, he went to try and make peace between warring factions in the Free State. And, and he's really become a voice, a, a powerful voice, and we can interrogate yes. the hypocrisy of, uh, maybe hypocrisy is too strong a word. He's become a powerful voice against corruption, against state capture, and he reminds us every time he speaks that he has been against this in the ANC, the good ANC, because he splits the ANC into a good and a bad, has been, has been against corruption since the very beginning. And, and that's the role he's playing. And um, whatever I might have to say about him that's quite harsh in this book, I think it's a really important role, and I'm really glad he's playing it. 
Um, it's good to have his voice back. Mm. In, but it, it's, it's interesting that it's back in a way that's not amplified. And maybe you have some thoughts about that because you, you work in the media as to why we, we don't hear him. I mean, I, it, to me, it's a bit like he's, we need him to be the spectral presence. You know, some of us loving him as the, as, 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 as the founder of, of the African Renaissance and black economic empowerment and just wanting him to be, remember him as every, all that's good. And, and maybe others of us just really still um, incredibly angry with him because of HIV, because of Zimbabwe, because of, um, uh, of, of the because way... Bicoli, because of Bicoli, because of whatever. Mm. So, yeah. So, I think one of the reasons we haven't picked up on this important resurrection or return of Mbeki is because there's so few political reporters, Mark, mm. um, that we even find it difficult to cover this rapidly fracturing political environment with the rise of your Gayton McKenzie's at the Patriotic mm. Alliance mm. Uh, with Herman Mashaba's action essay. It's so new that we haven't watched um, this return of Mbeki by President Cyril Ramaphosa. I have noted that he does sit in on all the ANC NEC yeah, meetings, even by Zoom. So you have pres former President Zuma and Mbeki in all these meetings, these two very opposing forces. I do want to pick up on something the former President Mbeki um, this time has been saying, and he says, the ANC is too big, too important to fail, and if it should fail, the country will fail with it. Now, I want to speak about that a little bit, because I'm not so... I'm not so sure that that's the situation any longer. That increasingly the ANC, which has played such a huge role in our recent history and of course for the past hundred years, um, I don't think it's the force that it used to be. And in fact, the November 2021 election has shown us mm. that it's on its way out. Um, and that what I, I think is going to happen in uh, the 2024 election is that President Cyril Ramaphosa will still be president, but he'll be the head of a coalition government. And the ANC will increasingly become a rural-based party like Yozanu PF's, like other liberation movement-based um, parties. But in, why would he say such a thing, Mark? Why does he still believe, against all data, that the ANC is too big to okay, fail. Well, let me say at the outset that when I say what I'm going to say, the colours of my new book might look like the DA colours. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. I'd like to, I like to think they're the colours of the Ukrainian flag. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a... It's a Which means Mbeki's like a Zelensky character? <laughs> <laughs> it's a symptom of... Um, it's really... It's, it's on a continuum with Jacob Zuma saying the ANC will be in power until Jesus the second comes. millennium. It's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a deep sense of manifest destiny. It is our right to rule this country. Um, we are the only ones who can rule this country. And this is the ideology that... It, 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 it has its roots in, in Marxism-Leninism. And of course, remember, Mbeki, certainly more... Well, both Mbeki and Zuma... Um, were schooled in politics. I mean, Mbeki by his father, Gavin Mbeki, and then as, as a leading member of the South African Communist Party in exile. Um, it, it's absolutely in his political marrow that only the ANC can govern. And, and, and I wonder if... I mean, he was... I write in my book that he, he didn't join COPE 
because um, uh, he, felt too, he felt these familial bonds too strongly to the ANC. His own mother joined Cope. But, but it, it's not just that. It's really just this deep-rooted belief that it's the ANC's right to govern. And, um, and that really is the ANC's problem. And, um, and, and I totally agree with your um, analysis. But I think largely what Mbeki is saying is something of a threat, um, a gentle threat, but a threat nonetheless. And it's a threat about the chaos that happens in coalition governments. It's a threat about the chaos that's happening in Johannesburg or Pretoria uh, and how that threat might be, how that chaos might become national if the scenario you are um, predicting becomes true. It's so, yeah, that's what I think is going on there. Hmm. Because what you have in Cape Town, I saw the lovely young mayor, Jordan, Gordon Hill Lewis, Jordan Hill oh, Lewis, here? No, not here, but yeah. I saw you on Twitter, is what he calls a functional federalism and um, a decided attempt to by the DA to try and win at least three provinces in 2024, but we won't go there yet. I want to stay for a moment with what you pick up on in your book as a deep nostalgia for the Mbeki years. Um, and you, you note that it's mostly young people who believe that he was the guy, that it was a much, much better time. And to be honest with you, Mark Markey is, um, I feel sometimes when I've covered the kleptocracy of the Zuma era and the past three years of the Zondo Commission, we are as kleptocratic and corrupt a country as Italy and Nigeria and, and the worst of the examples in the world now, the stands. Um, and I have felt that his time was, was deathly for the people who for, for the mothers and children who, who died from AIDS, but that it was not so deeply corrupt. So yeah. I kind of understand the nostalgia. Yeah, me too. It's also a nostalgia that I share for heightened political discourse, right? I mean, I, I personally wasn't always down with that discourse, certainly when it was used to deny... Um, that HIV causes AIDS. Um, and it was an ideology that was used to deny that. It was an Africanist ideology that was used to deny that. A little louder, please. Um, and um, it, I also see how that, how that discourse was often very corrosive. And that's one of the reasons why so many people, and particularly minorities, breathed a sigh of relief when Mbeki left, because there was a racializing discourse that, that made many white and brown people feel like they weren't African enough. Um, I'm not leveling any comment about that, but I'm saying that was out there, very much so. And, um, but all that being said, there was a heightened political discourse. I mean, it's not just the, the sort of endless quotations to Yeats and Shakespeare, which could sometimes sort of become sludge. It was, the, there, it was we were governed by ideas. And, and they might have been the right ideas or they might have been the wrong ideas, but they powered the way this country was governed. And that ended. That really ended after Mbeki left. So that's one, that's one place of the nostalgia. The other place of the nostalgia, and, and listen, my, my evidence that young people hold to this nostalgia is anecdotal and personal. 
it's, the, it's what I see about the people who approach me about the book or who write to me about the book or who tweet about the book. And I have noticed that they tend to be young, black professionals and intellectuals, many of whom were not even necessarily around um, during the Mbeki years. And, and I, I write about, I have some ideas in my, um, in my epilogue as to why that is, but, but it must be in part, and, and, and people in this room can tell me more, I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody. There are people in this room who might have clearer ideas about this. But, but the sense I get from having spoken to people that it has to do with the way um, and Becky's, the way he articulated uh, the need for black excellence and, 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 and what was behind the African Renaissance and really the way his policies, the implement, implementation of his policies created in record time a black middle class in this country. Yes. Undeniable. Extraordinary. And, 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 and too often when... Um, when people criticize black economic empowerment, including Tabambeki's own brother, Mweletsi, who's one of the biggest critics, um, they, they talk about um, you know, the way there have just been a few billionaires made and everybody else has been left in the dirt, the increasing inequality. They talk about the way this has enabled corruption, the way black BE was put into practice in South Africa has without doubt enabled corruption. I can talk about that more. I write about it in the book. But what's forgotten is, is that the tens, the hundreds of thousands of people, uh, bank clerks, medics, university graduates, um, professionals who have um, been able to work towards achieving their ambitions as a result of Mbeki's policies. And, 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 and that's where I think a lot of the nostalgia comes from. Now, the, flip, the, the, the second part of your question is... is is the more critical part, which is, is that can we, be more can we be nostalgic for a time that was less corrupt? Yes, I agree with you, we can. No question. And um, Ivor Chipkin and his team, um, who, who wrote a really important book called The Shadow State, draw a vital distinction between the political capture that happened during the Mbeki era and the institutional capture that happened during the Zuma era. And the political capture was about making sure the ANC was in every single little corner of the bureaucracy so that it could achieve its ends, which is, you know, the upliftment of, of South Africans on paper. Institutional capture was, that's not good enough. We need radical economic transformation, and the way we're gonna get radical economic transformation is by using state institutions, particularly the parastatals, the, S the SOEs, because we have power over them. And we're going to use these as vehicles for radical economic transformation. Again, I mean, Pravin Gordon, a big believer in that, huh? A good guy. The a developmental state. The de no, this is even more than the developmental state, because mm -hmm. the developmental state started under Mbeki. This is taking the developmental state to a, to a new level, which is to say, let's use everything we've got, including our SOEs. And, 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 and what I want to say is, is that in, under both political capture and institutional capture, shit happened. Both in their different ways opened the doors for the kind of kleptocracy 
that the Zuma era brought. And, and, and what I track in my, in my epilogue in particular is, is the way, I mean, it's not like a line was crossed when Zuma came into power and suddenly we were in the era of state capture. The, the expression I use is that the Mbeki presidency set the table for state capture. And we can talk about the let's, various ways that he did. Let's talk about it now, yeah? But yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that that is correct. So I think you ask a fabulous question here. Was the ANC captured by corrupt outsiders who ejected Thabo Mbeki from power and destroyed his legacy? Or is Mbeki himself an author of the misfortune that befell South Africa following his dismissal? Not just by facilitating Zuma's rise to power, but by presiding over an earlier era of patronage and putting into place a particular set of policies and, and practices that set the scene for what would follow. Yeah. That was setting the table. Give us a couple of examples yeah. I mean, I, of I how you argue I, that. I don't have the time to go into all of it here. And, yes, and it's just a few. More in my book. But, but, um, you know, so the, the first thing I say is um, uh, promoting Zuma to be as deputy president despite early evidence of incompetence and moral laxity. And that was a political decision. I need this man on my side. Well, they cost a political decisions. And then later, of course, he facilitated um, Zuma's rise to power because of the way Zuma became the anti-Mbeki. If Mbeki was the aloof um, uh, Coriolanus who had banished his people, um, Zuma was the everyman. You know, I'm like you, I also have appetites. Um, I, I'm not a clever black. I'm a man of the people. Um, and, 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 and Mbeki is very much part of that, um, that kind of uh, binary that got set up by Zuma. But, but, but in, in, in more tangible ways, I mean, uh, the black economic empowerment policies that, that were set up, I mean, are, are, are essential for all the reasons I've given. But they were ripe for abuse. Because as Mueletzi Mbeki said to me correctly, uh, when you make your money because of who you know, rather than because of what you know, that's right for corruption, particularly in an environment where the political party, maybe because it's a ruling political party and it has to, is living beyond its means and constantly needs funding. So to the extent that Mbeki is culpable um, of, 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 of the kind of corruption that leads to state capture, during um, his, the era of his presidency. I think that most of it revolves around the funding of the ANC, whether it's the Oilgate scandal, which happened under his watch, whether it's the arms procurement deal. There's no evidence of it, unfortunately, because back then we didn't have party political funding legislation, but, but Andrew Feinstein reports, and I totally trust him, he reports in his book after the party, that he was told clearly, stay away from the arms deal, because it's funding our party. Um, I, you know, did Mbeki know that the arms deal was funding his party? How could he not have? And if he didn't know, then it's omission, sin of omission rather than commission. Then there's Chancellor House, right? Which happened under his watch. Chancellor House is this ANC investment vehicle that, that did a sweetheart deal with Hitachi that supplied the boilers for Medupi and Kusile. Which don't work very well. I mean, we know how that story ended, don't we? Right? Um, and as, as, as the anti-corruption investigator Paul Holden says, as a governance issue, that stinks. Because the ANC is torn between the health of its bank balance 
and the power that it goes to its people. And, you know, that is very problematic. And that's from the Mbeki era. Um, finally, I think that, that he set the table... Well, two, two more things I'd say about setting the table. One is, 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 is what, we, um, what we call in sometimes a lazy shorthand cater deployment. But, but this, 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 Mar this Marxist-Leninist democratic centralist notion that you implement um, policies through cater deployment and that your, your ideologues know more than your technocrats. Now, that's not across the board. Um, because, partly because of Mbeki's own ideology around economic policy, that's not necessarily how it worked in the Treasury, where the technocrats governed and still govern. Um, so it's, it's, it's a mixed picture. There wasn't this um, attempt for total political capture um, as, there, as there was under the Zuma era, an attempt for total institutional capture. Uh, but there certainly was um, abuse of, of state organs um, and of, of presidential power, I would say, I would argue, uh, for party political reasons or personal reasons. And, and, and um, the two examples I mention in my book is, um, the first is the allegation, which is controversial, there are two sides of the story, the allegation that came out during the spy tapes that Mbeki had a hand that was, that was um, illegal in um, uh, the charging of Jacob Zuma. And the second one, which to me is more damning, is his, um, his role in the Vusi Piccoli, Jackie Celebi affair, which I'm happy to talk about a bit more if we have time, or it's in detail in my book. Yeah, no, because I mean, that sets the table for the almost complete corruption of the National Prosecuting Authority, the, um, the defanging of the scorpions into the much less uh, effective hawks, um, and on credit deployment, as Spence always tells me, is it's been totally corrupt because ESCOM, for example, you have no electrical engineers on the board anymore, and you can apply that same thinking across. You understand why our SOEs have, have yeah. all but died. Yeah. In Johannesburg, where I love, where there's like, at any given time 40 to 50,000 potholes, it's because they have a guy called Republic Monakedi from Limpopo in charge of the roads. He is. He, he's such a corrupt man. All you had to do was Google him to see that he was the wrong cadre to deploy. So these, you can see how these policies have been um, uh, corrupted um, over, over time. What I have noted, Mark, sitting at the Zondo Commission, is that in the Mbeki era, the arms deal up to a number of the first big corruption scandals, that flow of the purpose of it was to fund the ANC in that triangular relationship, tenders, uh, to, to, to companies, uh, sympathetic companies, and then funding into the ANC. What happened with the Guptas is that second loop gets diverted toward Dudumayeni, the Jacob Zuma Foundation, so it becomes much more individualized, kind of Filipino um, corruption, whereas before it would go to the party. Look, there were those such diversions. Sure, to the, the sheikhs, etc. Um, no? There was Joe Modisa, um, uh, there was Jackie Salabi, 
But no, that's a different story. I guess that's different. But th there were such diversions, and we have to remember that the initial diversion that happened to Jacob Zuma from the sheikhs happened when Zuma was put there um, into that arms deal by Mbeki um, uh, to play a certain role. Um, so, so there were not diversions that we know of into Mbeki's pocket that we know of. Um, and nobody has put any evidence on the table, even any prima facie evidence on the table, yet. Um, but yeah, there were diversions, but they were, they, they were piecemeal. They weren't, I mean, the reason why... Wasn't I the think entire purpose? The reason why we can use kleptocracy to describe the Zuma presidency and not the Mbeki presidency, because that was the purpose of the Zuma presidency. Absolutely, yeah. and that's pretty clear now from many bits of evidence. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. <laughs> <laughs>